everyone, and welcome to episode 39 of the Hydrogen Nowcast for November 12th, 2021. The Hydrogen Nowcast is sponsored by New Day Hydrogen, who's helping fleet owners meet their zero emission vehicle needs. If you're a fleet or transit operator, and you're wondering how to convert to zero emission vehicles, but still meet your operational needs, New Day Hydrogen can help by providing public hydrogen fuel stations and showing you the available fuel cell trucks, vans, and buses. To find out more, just submit a request at the NewDayHydrogen.com website contact page. Well, my guest for today on the podcast is Blake Putney, who's the Executive Vice President of Strategy for the company Hydrostar USA, who has come up with a new low-cost electrolyzer design. Blake, welcome to the show. Hi, Brian. Nice to be here. I'm uh, looking forward to our discussion. Well, really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. You know, probably to set the stage for our discussion, why don't we kind of first review uh, electrolyzer types for the listeners? So electrolytically produced hydrogen is currently a niche market producing very small quantities of hydrogen. And this is due to the fact that the high cost of electric energy versus natural gas make hydrogen produced from electricity very expensive relative to that uh, produced by natural gas using steam methane reforming. The world is changing, though, and low-cost renewable energy is becoming available at a price that makes the energy cost for producing electrolytic hydrogen very competitive with natural gas. Unfortunately, renewable energy is only available at most about half the time. Existing electrolyzer technology is mature, i.e. it's been around for 50 to 100 years, and employs expensive materials to the extent that the capital cost for an asset used only part-time, overwhelms the benefit of the low cost of renewable energy. For electrolytic hydrogen to become a success, new technology will need to be developed that has similar performance as the existing technology that is mature, but have a very low capex. You know, you mentioned renewable energy, and as we're recording this, I'm actually in Nebraska this week. And um, boy, I tell you what, there are so many more wind generators here than I've seen before, and they certainly have wind here. So I know renewable energy is really going to be increasing as we go forward. You know, what we ought to probably do for the benefit of our listeners is to just kind of quickly review electrolyzer technology. And really, there's three common types of electrolyzers, PEM or PEM. AEM or alkaline and solid oxide electrolyzers. Now, PEM stands for proton exchange membrane and AEM for anion exchange membrane. And the common word here is membrane, which separates the two electrodes. And the electrodes on the solid oxide electrolyzer are separated, of course, by the solid oxide. Now, the membranes in all three cases keep the hydrogen and the oxygen separated but still allow charged particles to pass through them, which represents the electrical current, which is driving the electrolyzer. Now, there are some common issues with these membrane electrolyzers. How is the Hydrostar electrolyzer technology different? Well, the main primary issue with the current technology is that it employs expensive materials and precious metals in the membranes or electrodes. And this makes the actual material cost for the electrolyzer pretty high. Other issues include having to use highly purified water to prevent 
contamination of the membranes. And also, in order to protect the membranes, you need a highly controlled power source to compensate for varying input power associated with renewables to keep the system in a narrow operating range. This range is necessary to maintain internal temperatures and avoid damaging the membranes. For alkaline electrolyzers, they employ a highly caustic chemical KOH or potassium hydroxide or lye that requires special handling and special electrode materials that are not acceptable to attack. The Hydrostar technology is novel. We've developed a very low capex electrolyzer and we focused making our system as simple as possible, employing low cost abundant materials like stainless steel and plastic. The key to this is an electrolyte produced by Hydrostar called B9. It has the same relative performance as KOH or potassium hydroxide, but it doesn't attack electrode materials, allowing us to construct the electrodes from 304 stainless steel. Our electrode materials cost less than 10% of existing stacks. While B9 may well allow an anion exchange membrane electrolyzer to be developed from cheap electrode materials, we have innovated further by introducing a membraneless design called HERO. The HERO design manages the flow regime within the device to use natural processes to keep the hydrogen and oxygen separate and avoid the membrane. Because the membrane's not there, it eliminates the need for highly purified water and also allows for a wide power band necessary for reacting to fluctuating renewable inputs. The fundamental design also allows us to build small independent stacks like battery cells rather than large electrolyzer stacks. These individual cells can be combined in a Lego block assemblies and scaled to arbitrary sizes. So our goal is to make utility scale electrolyzers at the 100 megawatt and above size. The small size of the individual stack allows us for developing and testing at a small scale and speeds our development process. And then finally, uh, because of not requiring exotic materials and our simple design of our system, virtually any manufacturing company can manufacture our electrodes and our electrolyzers. Well, let's uh, let's unpack that a little bit because, uh, boy, there was a lot of benefits that you went over. I mean, the first, not having the membrane and not having to worry about contamination in the water polluting the membrane. I mean, that's a, that's a big issue because electrolyzer systems basically need very, very pure water. And so that's huge. And then the power supplies that drive typical electrolyzers are pretty complex and, and pretty expensive. And to be able to use a much less expensive power supply is huge. And then also, as you say, the materials that actually make the electrodes and so forth are just common stainless steel, 304 stainless steel. That's huge. So there's there's quite a few um, improvements. Oh, and then not uh, least of which, the uh, the B9 electrolyte is much less caustic than, than the other alkaline electrolytes. So those are some really significant advances, I think. Why don't we talk a little bit about where Hydrostar is in the development of the Hero Electrolyzer, and when do you think it's going to be commercially available? So right now we're finalizing the design and form factor for these Hero cells and expect to start integrating them into systems about early 2022. The simple and straightforward design of our system allows us to probably have an initial full-scale prototype system by the middle of 22 and production prototypes in 2023. We are planning and have the kind of plans together and 
systems uh, formulating so that we can perform gigascale manufacturing uh, in 2024. And we can manufacture these things in all different parts of the world so that local areas can build their own electrolyzers. Well, I think that's really significant. And the other thing I like about the Hydrostar design is that you're intending to have multiple smaller cells. And I, I think that's really important because if you have one giant electrolyzer in your system, uh, if you have to take it down for repair or if it should break down, now you're, you're completely down. Whereas with these individual cells, you could be taking those offline during operation one at a time to do any kind of service or repair or replacement, right? Correct. Yeah. So we're thinking that these um, Lego block cells would be formed in a little bit larger modules. And then uh, you can basically take the, an individual module offline and replace it if you need to or refurbish it while you're operating. It also has a significant impact on system reliability. So if you look at a typical membrane or alkaline electrolyzer, you have hundreds of cells or stacks elements in series. So if one of those elements goes bad, it takes the whole system down. Whereas our system is designed with series and parallel elements so that an individual failure won't take the, the whole stack down. Mm, that's, that's brilliant. Well, why don't we switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, Hydrostar, the company. You know, I've, I've met... Um, Online, that is, um, a number of the members, and you, you actually have a few uh, members of the company in Colorado, but uh, you've got a really impressive team. I mean, some of the folks have background with NASA and uh, EPRI, the Electric Power Research Institute, and SAIC and other places. So why don't you talk a little bit about, uh, brag a little bit about the, the team members okay. you've got and where they're located and so forth. Okay, so uh, we started working together in 2012, and uh, most of us are late in our careers and have worked in a number of different areas and have a lot of experience as uh, managers of large uh, technical organizations and marketing organizations. This team was kind of put together for me. It's kind of a dream team where I got to work again with a bunch of people that I met previously in my career, and I happen to like all of them and enjoyed working with them. So this is kind of a joy for me because everybody is uh, very uh, professional and I get along with them and we don't really have egos involved in figuring out what's the best thing to do. We can just focus on making our system successful. Hydrostar is an international company. The Hero R&D Center is in Oregon, where while our Electrolyte team is in the UK. We have the senior executive team, as I mentioned, has a lot of experience in managing delivering large projects and man managing manufacturing and supply chain. Uh, we set up shop in Europe where we work on the electrolyte, China, Australia, Singapore, and Africa to deliver our technology uh, so it can be manufactured locally. We have, as I mentioned before, we have decades of experience working with each other. The founders of the company are Gary Nicholson, a former managing director at Rolls-Royce, and Daryl Smith, an experienced executive with PPG, a glass manufacturing company. He's built large factories to manufacture glass, so he has a lot of experience on the manufacturing side. Together, they both invented the technology and are, are bringing it to market. The rest of the team brings uh, executive experience in systems design. For instance, I worked on analysis of nuclear reactors and space architectures for NASA. 
as well as economic system optimization, IT infrastructure, and project finance. To go with that team, we have a a set of partners that can fill out uh, the value chain, which we might mention later, of what's necessary to bring a a successful hydrogen uh, development project to market. Well, I'm really impressed with the team that you have. And I've learned from my own experience that it does take a team and you've got to have a, a broad base of skills and knowledge and experience to, to make it go. So I'm, I'm pretty impressed with what you pulled together at Hydrostar. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, I know the, the Hero Electrolyzer won't be shipping till 2024, but Hydrostar does have conventional electrolyzers available today. Why don't you talk a little bit about maybe some of the features and size ranges and, and so forth that you have now? So um, our main objective in this entity, because we're all rather senior people, is to try to get this market going as fast as possible. We don't really have time to wait till 2030 or 2035 to be successful. And so we've tried to figure out a way or different ways to jumpstart the uh, electrolyzer business in the U.S. And one way to do it is to, let's say, offer customers that want electrolyzers in the next two years before our product is out on the market, the ability to start making electrolyzed uh, hydrogen in their projects. And then at a kind of a smaller scale, because the electrolyzers are kind of expensive. And then when they build out to the multi hundred megawatt level, be able to build that out with our new technology. So it's kind of a, a hedge against um, technology. You know, if our technology is delayed, we'll be able to offer something to the market. It's a way for our customers to get an early start in the hydrogen business and uh, get experience with hydrogen before they make the hundreds of million dollars investment it takes to build one of these large programs. We have a partnership with an existing company that produces and delivers a wide range of both PEM and alkaline products around the world. And it's a manufacturer for a number of well-known electrolyzer companies. We've entered in an agreement with them to offer their products around the world. We could offer modules and associated compression storage and dispensing equipment for anywhere from 100 kilowatts to 2.5 megawatts. And these modules can be combined together, the 2.5 megawatt ones, into larger systems to reach utility scale. Because we're directly uh, integrating with our Chinese partner, our prices are very competitive and They also have a large amount of existing manufacturing capacity, so we can deliver systems in six or eight months. It seems like the existing manufacturers are focusing on building out their large factories that didn't exist before in order for them to meet the market. We think we have a little bit of an advantage because this factory already exists and is up and running. Yeah, well, six to eight months, that's a pretty good lead time. I've been hearing numbers like nine to 12 months other places. So that's great. And then the uh, the sizes, you'd mentioned 100 kilowatt to two and a half megawatt. And uh, oh, depending on the efficiency, that's somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe 37 or 35 kilograms a day up to 925 or maybe 1,000 kilograms a day. So that's that's kind of the size range there. Well, you know, you had already mentioned a little bit earlier in the conversation, the ecosystem and the need to build out both the supply and the demand. And that's been something I've talked about on this podcast before and a, and a big focus of of mine, because it's not enough to just simply 
create hydrogen. We, we need we need we need buyers. We need customers. So you know, companies like New Day Hydrogen and, and others are out trying to engage uh, the transportation users to try to stimulate some demand. You know, what's what are your thoughts on trying to get this green hydrogen market going as we move forward? So um, once you have hydrogen, green hydrogen, there are a number of different avenues to turn that into uh, some sort of sale. And the simplest way, and I'm going to kind of go up the up from the lowest value to the highest value. The lowest value is simply taking that hydrogen uh, from a wind farm or a solar farm and putting it into the gap to a gas pipeline. You can do that at about 10 or 20% of the energy in a gas pipeline you can make from hydrogen. Unfortunately, that's a very competitive business. You're competing with natural gas and it doesn't remove that much hydrogen. Typically, it takes about, in the reforming process, about nine kilograms of CO2 are emitted in making one uh, kilogram of hydrogen. If you put the hydrogen in a gas pipeline, it's only about three kilograms of CO2 that you're avoiding. So the next level, uh, let's say, of of, uh, benefit or margin is to put the hydrogen into a industrial process. Uh, the biggest use of hydrogen right now, the steam methane reforming, which is almost an infinite market for hydrogen, is uh, in making ammonia fertilizer. And so ammonia fertilizer is NH3, and so it needs three molecules of hydrogen to combine with the nitrogen in order to make it. It's made with steam methane reforming, and that process generates about nine kilograms of CO2 for each kilogram of hydrogen that you're using in the process. So that has a tremendous uh, carbon leverage. But again, because the feedstock is natural gas, it's very competitively priced. And so we have to get the price of the hydrogen very low in order to compete in that market. A similar market is in uh, using hydrogen in a petrochemical process. It's a key element of a lot of fuel processing technologies. And it also is key aspect if you're trying to make uh, renewable fuels. So if you use uh, a process to generate hydrocarbons and then you need to make a specific kind of fuel, let's say jet fuel, uh, you need to add hydrogen to that process. And so renewable hydrogen is another one if you want your renewable fuel to be 100% green. And so that's a little. That's the next highest level of value. And then the highest one is the one that you're working on, which is transportation, because not only are you leveraging the uh, hydrogen itself, but you're burning the hydrogen in a fuel cell, which is a highly efficient way to use the energy stored in the hydrogen itself. And so that market is virtually non-existent right now. And it's going to be a market where the price of hydrogen is going to be relatively high and people will accept that price. I have a hydrogen car here in Palo Alto and it costs $18 a kilogram to buy hydrogen for that car. The cost of the hydrogen production is under $2 when you produce it from uh, natural gas. So there's a lot of opportunity for streamlining this uh, delivery process and using electrolyzers along the way to reduce that price down and make it more competitive with uh, gasoline. A near-term target for uh, transportation fuel hasn't been reached yet, but they're trying to reach is at about uh, $6 a kilogram for the hydrogen, which makes it equivalent to $3 a gallon gasoline. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, the bottom line here is that outside of California, maybe Japan and Germany, a few other places, people who are interested in the hydrogen market really need to be thinking about going out and engaging and stimulating the demand for that so that they have customers. I mean, that's that's kind of sales 101. You have a product you want to sell, you need to go go find customers. You can't uh, necessarily just sit there and hope hope they show up. So let's hope a lot more people start addressing that. Yeah, one, one way that we're working uh, on that is that we've recognized that the this value chain doesn't exist. And so we've been partnering with companies all across the value chain, all the way from wind producers that have wind farms that can't be connected to the power grid because there's no power lines available. So those projects are sitting there waiting to be developed. We're working with project developers that actually finance and put those projects in the ground and operate them. Uh, we're operating with people like you that are actually um, selling hydrogen to end users. And then we're also going one step further and trying to develop partnerships with, for instance, companies that need trucks, let's say Amazon or something like that, where you could provide the hydrogen truck with the hydrogen as kind of a service for the, let's say, Amazon delivery so that they just uh, basically get their products delivered and the rest of the value chain has the hydrogen trucks, the hydrogen and the wind power that produces it all in one package that makes it much simpler for these large end users. That's fantastic. And we all just need to really keep working to develop this market. And, you know, I'm convinced that once it starts taking off, it's it's just going to increase really quickly. All right. Well, Blake, uh, I, I think we'll wrap it up unless, uh, was there anything I should have asked you that I didn't? Uh, no, I, I would just want to kind of reiterate that I'm kind of a systems engineer looking at the whole, let's say, value chain. And I think it's important for people to get together and engineer a complete solution that minimizes the cost to the customer uh, and minimizes the amount of work involved in developing these systems. And so it's important for organizations like yours uh, because that brings people together so that we can kind of work in an integrated fashion rather than working on each element of the value chain in a vacuum. Normally, a value chain would emerge and you'd have trial and error on each one of these little elements and an effective value chain will emerge at the end. We're kind of in this sort of desperate race, so we need to kind of shortcut a lot of that stuff and come up with an integrated formulation of the value chain that's going to be effective. Very well said. I, I absolutely agree. Well, Blake, thanks for your time to be on the show today. Uh, where can listeners learn more about Hydrostar? Sure. So our, our website is hydrostarusa.com. We also have websites for our different subsidiaries around the world. My email is blakep at hydrostarusa.net. We're on LinkedIn as well. And uh, looking forward to hearing people that would like to participate in this. Well, thank you again so much, Blake for being on the show. Well, listeners, if you enjoy listening to the Hydrogen Nowcast, please subscribe to the podcast and also give us a rating in your podcast app. A good rating helps us be discovered by other people. And of course, word of mouth recommendations are really important. So consider letting people in your own network know about the Hydrogen Nowcast. And again, we'd like to thank New Day Hydrogen for sponsoring the Hydrogen Nowcast. New Day Hydrogen is working to build out and deploy hydrogen infrastructure to enable us all to convert to zero emission vehicles.
Now, if you'd like to contact me, I'd love to hear from you. And you can reach me through the website at www.colorado-hydrogen.org or on LinkedIn. So until next time, this is Brian DeBruin wishing you health and prosperity. Goodbye.